My guests on Coastal Front today are looking to secure seats in the upcoming Vancouver municipal election as city councillors. I welcome Park Board Commissioner Stuart McKinnon and Leslie Bolt, owner of Bolt Communications. In addition to teaching public school for over 30 years, Stuart has been a Park Board Commissioner since 2008. Throughout his terms, he has championed affordable recreation, clean and natural parks, reconciliation, and he's advocated for preparing our parks and recreation facilities for the impacts of climate change. Fellow candidate Leslie is passionate about public and community service. Prior to starting her own company, Leslie held senior positions with the BC government and led the public communications for the 2010 Winter Games. Protecting the environment and focusing on climate change are also priorities for Leslie, and it's evident in her previous work with the David Suzuki Foundation, Clean Energy Canada, Climate Smart, and more. To make things a bit more interactive on today's show, we have asked both Stuart and Leslie to each pick a topic that is important to them in this upcoming election. Leslie and Stuart, thank you very much for being on Coastal Front today as part of our election series. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks a lot. It's nice to be here. Why don't we start with yourself, Leslie? Vision okay. Vancouver um, and choosing to run under this municipal election. Is this, is this the first time you've decided to run for public office? Yes, I've been involved in politics yeah. for 30 years. I know I don't look old enough, <laughs> but I have. But this is the first time I've run as a candidate. So okay. it's de definitely a different experience for me. But I have been involved in municipal politics here in Vancouver for 20 years. So, okay. yeah. Well, let's hear a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Um, I made the decision to run uh, for council uh, during the pandemic. So that was a real pivotal decision point for me in terms of how those of us who have agency, who have have the ability to show up in a different way, how we can do that. And okay. so for me, I thought, I, I I think I can play a different role in politics by by running for office rather than supporting those that that run for office. So that's sort of my behind my personal decision. Um, as far as Vision Vancouver and uh, running in this election, it's really my strong view that um, the current city council lacks focus. Uh, an ability to get things done. There's a fair amount of consensus uh, from across the political landscape, I think, on that. And um, I think that Vision Vancouver and candidates like Stuart and I can can um, can help with that a little bit in terms of uh, collaborating with other folks from other political parties, but also with each other uh, to get things done at City Hall again. Okay, Stuart, how about yourself? So I'm a, a native Vancouverite, lived here for 20 years, was away for 20 years. Okay. And then when I came back, um, I made three commitments to myself. Um, one was to get in, in touch with my faith. Second was to work with end of life care. And the third was to give back to my community. And when I looked around what I could do to give back to my community, I, I saw that, you know, like a lot of kids in the 60s, uh, rather tumultuous home, but parks and recreation were what kept me on the straight and narrow. And so I became a public space advocate and a natural space advocate so that um, the kids could have the kind of childhood that, that I had. Um, I talk about it being almost magical in the parks and the swimming pools and the beaches. Whereabouts and, in Vancouver did you grow up? Um, I grew up on the west side. Okay. Uh, so uh, Dunbar Community Centre, Memorial West Park, yeah. uh, Jericho Beach, uh, Spanish Banks. Yeah, um, beautiful places. ride my bike down there. And so I got involved in that and that inevitably led me to um, engage in politics. Yeah. And so I ran for park board in 2005, was elected when I ran again in 2008. 2012, the voters never being wrong gave me a vacation, <laughs> but I came back in 2014 and again in 2018. Uh, Stuart, you are now the second park board commissioner to leave their former party. One was a COPE member who's now moved to, I believe, yourselves to Vision. Mm -hmm. and John Irwin. Yeah. John Irwin. And, and now yourself. Can you mix, maybe explain for the listeners who uh, had maybe voted for you last time under the green banner, why you've chosen to go over to Vision from Green? Um, I guess the short answer is I wanted to be in a big tent party, an organization that reaches right across the city, right across um, political lines, um, one that has a history of bringing people together and getting things done. Um, and for me, that was Vision Vancouver. Um, look, I have the greatest respect for the Green Party and my colleagues. 
um, my former colleagues in the Green Party. Um, there are not, I don't think, two people I respect more than Camille Dumont and Dave Demers, um, who are my colleagues on Park Board. Um, not only do I respect them politically, we've become friends, and I can say that we've grown to love each other. But for me, um, I needed to, when I, when I was making the leap into city council, I wanted to be with a, with a group um, who have share the same values as me, but can appeal to a much broader base. And then candidates like Leslie, uh, Kishon Roy, um, Hanye Barzagari, who are the, our fellow candidates at um, council, just blow me away in their passion, their background, and their knowledge. Okay. So it was really, really an easy, easy decision for, for you. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good answer. Thanks, Stuart. well let's maybe pivot to talking about vision vancouver if viewers who were to google vision vancouver today uh you actually the first description that comes up is it says it's a that vision vancouver is a green liberal municipal political party i don't know if that was necessarily what would have come up when we googled it back when gregor robertson first led the vision party to success uh quite a few years ago so can you maybe start by explaining what that term, a green liberal municipal political party means? Well, I don't think I wrote that either, <laughs> but uh, I think what it means is that, as Stuart mentioned, and I might have, might have mentioned it also, we're, we're a big tent party. Uh-huh. So the, the members of our party aren't from one political background. We've got federal liberals, we've got provincial liberals, we've got new Democrats. We've got Greens, obviously, Um, uh, people that come from different backgrounds, but we share values. So that's kind of what brings us together as a political party. Um, And we were formed um, years ago. So I guess uh, our first election was when Jim Green ran for mayor uh, back in the mid 2000s um, as as that sort of uh, progressive coalition that would really took the, the, the place of cope. Um, which Larry Campbell uh, was elected under, if you'll remember, back in the day, back in 2002. So the reasons that we got together, uh, that we got the band together in the first place are still there. Uh, We share shared values, shared desire to make a difference in this city on the things that matter to us. um, And and we think that that's still needed in this city. Okay, good, good. Well, and thanks for that little bit of history lesson on COPE (laughs) and and vision. Um, Most people associate uh, former Mayor Gregor Robertson with Vision Vancouver. How has Vision changed since Gregor left office and left the leadership of Vision Vancouver in 2018? You know, Gregor's influence still impacts the party. The um, incredible years uh, that he led Vancouver still impacts. Um, the, The really good things that are happening in Vancouver today, I believe, happened under the Vision Vancouver leadership. Uh, from 2008 to 2018 Um, but you know um, you know people are going to ask well you know what happened to vision in 18 and why are you with them well you know governments get tired they get stale Um, they need to be renewed I still think there was lots of energy and lots of great ideas coming out but um, the electorate as I said before the electorate's never wrong they said it's time um, that we had a little break um, I think what we've seen in the last four years that this hasn't been such a great break. Um, I think we've had, um, uh, I'm not going to mince words here, I think we've had quite a dysfunctional city yeah. council yeah. Um, that's not... I think most people will tend to I agree, agree with that. Yeah. I agree. Including yeah. all of our uh, mayoral candidates who've been on before <laughs> you here. Yeah. And, and so... You know, people are looking for stability. They're looking for people who have good ideas, who know how to get those ideas done. And I think they're going to look to Vision Vancouver because uh, we have the experience. Yeah, and we have a we do have a track record of of bold action. And um, and I know not everyone would agree with everything that Vision Vancouver did in the past. But when you look at leadership on something like uh, the Greenest City Action Plan, which Gregor Robertson and, and former city councillor Andrea Reimer spearheaded, really positioned Vancouver 
as an international leader in sustainability and sustainable okay. action. We'd really like to, to bring, bring a little bit of that vibe back to this city. We know that this council has tried. There's some good people on this council mm-hmm. that have tried to make progress on the climate emergency, but they've really struggled. This council has struggled to work together. And as, as you say, this is the, lots and lots of people are, are, are saying the same thing. But going back to my question, how is Vision 2022 different than Vision from 2018? I mean, maybe the answer is it isn't, and that's what voters should know. Like, how how is it different? Or is it really, hey, all the great things that we were in 2018 and before, that's what we are today? Well, there's that's part of it for sure but we're a new crew you know okay. we're all uh candidates who are running for city council with vision for the first time okay we're bringing we're bringing new ideas and also some of the challenges that we're dealing with you know we've just been through a pandemic you know sure. the, the climate emergency is closer to our front doors than it has ever been yeah. we've got systemic racism we've got a, a lot of stuff uh to to, to use a euphemism to deal with in this city okay and so we want to bring a bit of a fresh approach but also again and you're going to hear this from us over and over again a desire to collaborate and yes. to work together to get things done we can't delay anymore okay you know, i i say that my history with the park board working with multiple parties my history is one of collaboration um i've been chair of the board for three terms and we've had very successful in those times because my ability and the ability of the others to work together. And I think that's what's not happening at city council right now. Okay. Um, I, I look at, you know, when staff reports come back, you know, and there are a multitude of amendments that come out. Perfect. And, you know, it, the way I see it and, and, and why we don't do that at Park Board is if you give staff good direction, if you're following what they're doing as they're getting that direction and you're looking at the, the public input, the report that they're going to bring back will reflect the views of what came out there. Sure. But that's not happening right now. So, um, you know, we don't need a multitude of on the fly amendments. What we need right. is here. good direction, yeah. good direction. And then staff bringing back what we ask them to bring back and things move along. And that leadership okay. starts at the top, quite frankly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good segue into my next question, which is why is Vision not running a mayoral candidate? Well, I think that's a that's a good question. I think that we're in a process of rebuilding right now. Let's 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 be candid, shall we? Right. Uh, our party is rebuilding. And I think it, we we thought it was important to be ambitious, but not too ambitious. Okay. You know, there's a dense field running for uh, mayor right now. Um, And um, but again, we're in a a phase of rebuilding. So we've got a really great slate of candidates. But as you'll see, we're not running full slates for council, school board or park board either. So, you know, we're rebuilding now. We've got some ambitions to work together with other folks and we'll see what the future brings. Okay, great. What do you think about the current list of uh, mayoral candidates? Well, you know, I did actually run into Ken Sim on the okay. way here, and we had a nice chat. Um, I think that actually all most of the candidates are pretty solid. You know, yeah. I don't say I agree with them politically on a lot of um, all of the issues or even many of the issues. Um, but you know, it's a it's an interesting crew. Um, yeah. Okay. And it's interesting. I mean, um, we run under a system of civic government in in Canada where we, it's not a, the mayor isn't the big cheese. The mayor is one of, well, it's, it's a mayor and 10 yeah. councillors, and it, it, their vote is as equal. Yeah. They are the face of the city. Um, they um, tend to put an agenda together to put out, so there is some leadership there. But they are not... Um, the be-all and end-all the way they are in some cities like in the United States. Right. Um, so I, I, I think I can work with anyone who who will become mayor. Um, yeah. I'd like to think I will be. Um, as Leslie says, um, some of them don't share my values, my, my point of view. Yeah. But that's been the same on Park Board. Sure. That's the same in sure. any government. And, um, you know, what we like to say um, at Park Board, and it's the same at City Council, we sit at a round table 
You know, we don't sit across from each other. It's not parliamentary in its government in opposition. We sit in a, in a circle for a reason because we need to get together. We it's need good to point. work together. Yeah. Okay. Good answers. <laughs> How many candidates are currently uh, slated to run for vision under the city count for city council? Four. You've got four. Yeah. Okay. Now there's uh, there are ten elected city councillors and then the mayor. So if you were unable to form a majority, and four would get you pretty close to being a majority, won't get you a full majority, but if if you weren't able to have, all, let's say it's just the two of you that end up mm -hmm. getting elected, which of the other parties do you feel would best work with Vision? I'm going to be candid with you. I think that there are people who are on city council right now um, from various parties that I could work with, okay. um, that I have good relationships with. I'm, I've worked in the nonprofit sector with Lisa Dominato before she was elected to council. Uh, Christine Boyle is very impressive. Um, I think we're aligned on a lot of the issues uh, from one city. Um, so I've seen some impressive work on city council from, from folks, and even Kennedy Stewart has introduced some uh, some initiatives that I, that I and I think Vision would support, like the, the making home strategy or um, uh, streamlining rentals, you know, extending the empty home tax. These are all things that where we share values. So you're, you're going to get a theme here from us today, yeah. which is we're really willing to work with anybody who shares our values on the key issues. There's going to be differences of opinion, and we might actually um, argue about some of the, those issues. But if we can come to a consensus on the things that are important to us, housing, climate action, you know, recovery from this pandemic, small business recovery, if we can come to some consensus on some of these and other issues, um, we're willing to work with anybody. Yeah. And okay. I really mean that. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my track record is very clear on Park Board. Um, there are political divisions there, but, you know, about nine out of 10 votes are unanimous. You know, is that right? it, it doesn't matter whether whether you're from COPE or the Greens or the NPA or yeah. Vision. We're all going in the same direction. And I, I'm going to say this. Uh, anybody who stands for public office is doing so because they love their community and they want it to be better. We might have a different idea of what better means. But I think if you take that attitude that the person sitting next to me or across from me isn't there to disrupt, isn't there to destroy, but is working in the best way that they believe, then you can find commonalities and, yeah. and you can work with, with, it, with everybody. Uh, and having said that, though, I will say that, that I will, I'll fight, you know, where, when it's necessary on the things that are important to us. And if there's somebody else at that council table that, that is, doesn't share the values, we're going to work together and work really, really hard and say what needs to be said in order to get, get stuff done. Okay. Yeah, I think on that one, I think it's, it's really important to establish right now that reconciliation within the city yeah. is is a fundamental value of Vision Vancouver, yeah. okay. and it's yeah. and it's not something that um, we will we will compromise, compromise on. on. Right. Um, and if there are candidates out there that don't believe in reconciliation, that don't believe that reconciliation is an urban civic issue, that's right. Then we won't be agreeing here, here. with them. Okay, we're going to now go to the topics that you've chosen. We're going to start with yours, Stuart. Climate change. As a longtime park board commissioner, but now looking to run for city council, can you tell me where the city has succeeded and where it has failed with regards to climate change in initiatives? So first of all, I want to acknowledge that through the leadership of Vision Vancouver councils, Vancouver is a leader in climate preparedness. Through initiatives and directions to staff, Vancouver is moving in the right direction. But as the past year has shown us, we have to start moving a lot faster. When Vision came um, into governance in 2008, they brought some phenomenal initiatives. Uh, Leslie has mentioned the Greenest City Action Plan being one of the most important. But the world today is very, very different than it was in 2008. Uh, the heat dome last summer showed us how vulnerable yeah. some of our population is. You know, we don't have, by nature, buildings that are air-conditioned. Um, we ran out of fans. Um, it was very, very serious. And, and some of our more vulnerable population 
very tragically passed away. So on climate change, I think, you know, really what we have to look at is the Greener City Action Plan and uh, the successes of that and how we need to carry on. Okay. So um, green buildings, you know, making them better and not um, get putting out the greenhouse gases that, that uh, they were before. Um, green transportation. Yeah. Um, this is huge for us. Um, you know, it... it the Broadway you, subway. The Broadway <laughs> subway. You know, you might read it in, in some of the mainstream media and think that, you know, this is controversial, but it's not. Uh, you talk to the majority, the vast majority of, of Vancouverites, and they'll tell you that um, walking, cycling, um, these are the things that we need to move to. We need to get more cars off of the roads, and this is what Vision Vancouver's past and future That's right. is looking like. F food waste we're doing really really well on food waste we've got the green bin program so we're no longer putting these into um, our garbage dump yeah, where they're creating um, greenhouse gases we're actually mm -hmm. repurposing them so that's that's terrific uh, recycling um, new parks um, yeah. you know people think well oh, story you're just saying that because because you're a park worker <laughs> but new parks are really really important you know these are places that are generally cooler in the city than other places um, and the thing that I'm I particularly proud of, uh, we've planted more than a hundred thousand new trees, and we know that you know planting trees isn't going to solve our problem, but it's one of the tools that we can use to cool to take greenhouse gases gases out. Okay. So these are things we need to be doing, but we need to do a lot more. Okay. Um, I I would also add that I I am actually supportive of the climate emergency plan that the current city uh, council has, but they've really struggled to implement it. So this really gets back to the fact that th this council struggles to to work together. Right. And so y we need a council that's that's committed to getting things done. But one yeah. of the things that people forget is that the port of Vancouver is the economic engine of not only Vancouver but of Canada. And climate change and sea level rise is going to have an tremendous impact on the port of Vancouver. So we need to be working with the federal government, provincial government, and our and our economic partners on this. Stuart, is Vancouver ready for a climate emergency? I would probably say no. Okay. Um, we saw that with the, the seawall when it happened last last winter and, and how destructive it was. It was a surprise to everyone. Okay, so uh, if your answer is no, mm -hmm. what are the steps you would take on city council to better prepare ourselves for a climate emergency? So right now we're capital planning. So these are the dollars that we're gonna be putting into the infrastructure in Vancouver. Um, I wanna see a lot more dollars being committed to um, climate emergency infrastructure. Um, we need to be not necessarily shoring up because one of the things we've learned is that a seawall is not very sustainable when it comes to storms you know it's just a big wall and and that's it so and the ocean's we, powerful it, it sure is as we saw um and so what we need to be doing is rethinking thinking outside the box one of the difficulties we have is people love what they have and they love to think back to what they had as their kids or in their younger years and a lot of the infrastructure we have today has always been there quote unquote, for the people who are here. And we may have to change some of that infrastructure. Right. The pier. Can you give some examples? Yeah, the pier at, Jer at Jericho. Okay. Very loved. It was wiped out. Right. You know, do we need to spend $20 million rebuilding that pier? Um, these are some of the That's tough, a really good point. tough yeah. questions that we're going to have to ask, not just of city councillors, but of the population itself. The community, yeah. 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 I call it the cup fiasco, but there was a... Uh, initiative put forward by council and staff earlier this year where we all know about the 25 cent uh, cup tax oh. right this right. is i call it okay. cup fiasco um so my question is what is your take on vancouver introducing this cup tax does it make sense from a climate change perspective when surrounding municipalities don't have this tax and do you think it's a good policy considering in my opinion the three largest uh, cup producers in Vancouver are Starbucks, McDonald's, and Tim Hortons, and it's kind of become just a bit of a cash grab for them. So what's your take on the cup, what I call the cup fiasco? So first of all, we, we have to recognize that this has impacted vulnerable people far more than anyone else. 
25 cents extra on a Tim Hortons coffee isn't going to make any difference to me. Right. But there were lots of folks where it really is going Very to make good a point. difference. Um, so um, it, you have to start somewhere. And I think that this was a policy that had lots of good intention. Um, I, I'm not sure that it was necessarily thought out completely. Yeah. Um, we need to stop being this disposable society. Um, I love the idea that now n nobody seems to mind that they don't have plastic bags at the grocery stores anymore. Yeah. Um, we're back to paper bags, which is kind of yeah. nice, or everyone brings their own. Yeah. Um, you know, can we get to the point where everyone brings their own cup to Starbucks? Well, first of all, you have to ask, you know, will Starbucks, McDonald's, Tim Hortons use those cups? During the pandemic, it was really hard. Nobody yeah. wanted to touch those sorts of things. Yeah. So I think it, it was a, a it was a good idea. I'm not sure that it has been implemented. Would you make changes to it? I certainly would. Okay. My last question, it's not exactly related to climate change, but I think it's a very important question for you, Stuart, considering your advocacy and your time spent on, on the park board. Mayoral candidate Ken Sim has said he wants to abolish the park board. What could this potentially mean for the city? Well, first of all, I'd say good luck to him. Uh, the park <laughs> board is part of the city charter. And in order to, to for him to make a change to the city charter, um, city charter, he's got to go to the to Victoria. We've got things in the city charter that have been sitting on the um, drawing board for years and years. I don't think this is going to be a priority for the city council. But I also think it's incredibly short-sighted. You know, the park board was formed two years after the city of Vancouver. It was formed because uh, there was this huge woodlot in the West End that the federal government was saving in case they needed to go to war and they needed wood for ships. By 1888, they realized they didn't need those anymore. And so they offered this place to the city on a hundred year lease for a dollar. And the city councillors, in their infinite wisdom at that time, said, we don't have the ability to look after this huge space. We've got a city to build. We'll create a park board. And of course, this, this area was Stanley Park. But because they made that fundamental decision and left trees, parks, gardens to a separate entity, I think is why we're such a beautiful city, why we're such a green city, and why our recreation and park system are renowned throughout the world. So uh, okay. very short-sighted to, to think that, that they can do that and, and very short-sighted to think they would want to do it. All right, we're going to pivot to housing. Um, Leslie, Vancouver City Council is expected to decide on the Broadway plan today, yeah. June the 9th. What are your thoughts on this plan as it currently presented? If you were on City Council today, voting today, would you approve it as it's written today? Yes. I'll okay. just start there. Sure. Yes. Great. Thank you. I would I would uh, support the Broadway plan as as currently developed. Um, unlike a lot of uh, folks who live in this city, I actually have participated in the public engagement process on the Broadway plan for the last few years. Okay. Uh, I live in the Broadway plan area as well, so it's it's personal. Um, having said that, uh, I do support the um, the recommended amendments to increase uh, tenant protections. Um, in the Broadway plan area that have been recommended by uh, Mayor Stewart, but also, you know, I was talking to Pete Fry the other day and he, and he wants to see stronger tenant protections as well. So I expect those amendments to be introduced today and I and I support them as well. Okay. So, yeah. Should this vote not maybe be reserved till after the election since it's so nearby, so, so close to, to, to election time? I know that some folks uh feel that's the case and we certainly heard a lot of people in the public hearings uh saying that uh my view is is uh, the broadway plan is long overdue and that um the subway is already being built ideally you would have a plan before you started to build the subway there were a number of reasons for the delay but the planning started four years ago pandemic definitely played in the role in the in the delay of this plan but it's already been delayed for too long we can't wait another year Right. to decide the future of our city along the Broadway corridor as the subway is being built. So, no, I'm not one of those people that wants to delay the decision further. Right, yeah. okay. Now, you've kind of already highlighted yes. your view on this, but Kennedy Stewart claims he wants to protect tenants who will be displaced by the Broadway plan. Yeah. 
He is promising compensation and the right to return to a replacement building at rents that are uh, at or below Mm -hmm. what those tenants had been paying previously. In your opinion, is any of this actually possible? Number one. Number two, how do you get developers to agree and who's going to provide the compensation? Those are all really great questions. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll take the first one on first. Will it work? I think is what you're asking. Those tenant protections, yeah, will they protect? Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, um, I can speak from my own personal experience. I've lived in the Broadway Plan area, also known as South Granville, uh, for 20 years. I was evicted from my home of 13 years uh, four years ago in the in this area. And I I had didn't have a leg to stand on. I was renovicted, essentially. Right. My landlord renovated my unit and is now renting it out for twice what I was paying for it. If the protections that were in the Broadway plan are in the Broadway plan or proposed by city councillors and the mayor were in place today, I, I would have had a, a lot more in my defense. I would have had an option to come back mm-hmm. to my home. Um, and uh, I would have had an option to to have somewhere to live in the interim, you know. Um, but as it stood, I was out on the open market in two months, and and it was an incredibly stressful experience for me. So, I but I think your point is well taken. I, I'm reading between the lines. There's there's an issue of enforceability, yeah, sure. so around these uh, these protections. But I actually feel they're legitimate, and they enhance the protections for tenants that are already in place. That's a really important thing. Uh, to remember. It's just taking them to the next level. Yeah, well, the question is kind of like... Absolutely. Either the developers have to... I mean, yeah. they have to price it into their models. Absolutely. And, you know, will you scare away developers under that policy? And secondly, like, who who provides this compensation? I mean, using your own personal example of you or... Like who would who would have well, paid? Developers, for- and you may be all aware of this, already do provide compensation for okay. for people who are displaced when they're going to demolish uh, buildings. Right. Um, and there's various, depending on the circumstances, various rights that tenants have yeah. around returning to the new building and that sort of thing. So that's th- buildings are still being built with those policies in okay. place. I, I mean, let's be let's be candid. Uh, the economics of of uh, a building right now are tough. Mm-hmm. Right. We've got supply chain issues. We've got um, increasing costs. We've got inflation. Right. So um, there's going to have to be a density trade off in order to make this uh, the, this model possible. Uh, it's not something that I personally have a problem with. I, I mean, uh, not that it depends on what part of the Broadway plan area you're talking about. If you're around a transit station. Yeah. Let's look at some height. Um, uh, and um, let's look at a lot more rental housing. Let's look at non-profit partnerships. Let's look at federal and provincial investments to reduce the cost of building new housing. There's lots of creative ideas, um, and but I do believe we need to work with private builders as well as the public sector to make this all happen. Okay. Yeah. I think it's also important to, to point out because lots of people seem to be a little bit confused on that. This is a 30-year plan. This is not like all the people in the Broadway corridor are going to be displaced That's overnight. Right. That's this right. is a long-term plan. Yeah. To replace and aging housing stock that yes. needs to be replaced regardless. Yes. Right. So let's do it right. Let's protect tenants. Let's work with uh, the community to to have neighborhoods that we all want to live in. Lots, lots of people moving here. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, okay, you mentioned housing stock. Yeah. yeah, there's different types of housing stock. Yes. What should the city's priorities be around rental properties versus, say, condominiums? Right. As a contrast? Yeah, I, I think what you're going to hear from me um, and from Vision, I think, is we definitely need more, a lot more rental housing in this city. Uh, as, as you were probably aware, um, there was literally almost no uh, rental construction happening um, 20 years ago. It was a very much favored condominium development. Um, and then you, we were all living in this this rental housing stock that was built 60, 70, 80 years ago. My present company included. I'm a renter, obviously, in the city. And so... Um, we're behind, you know, so the, some folks make arguments, well, we're we're building at the pace of at population growth, but that doesn't acknowledge the fact that we're tens of thousands of units behind 
uh, where we should be. And that's what's creating the housing crisis. Well, it's one of, there's many things causing the housing crisis, yeah. but it's certainly one of them. But so the do you believe it's partly just a simple supply-demand uh, equation? It's not simple, but supply okay. is definitely part of the solution. Yeah. Absolutely. We need more supply, but it needs to be the right supply. Exactly. And folks, folks talk about this all the time. Mm. We definitely need to encourage more co-ops. I mean, uh, Vision was uh, spearheaded the first co-op in in decades or years anyway um, uh, in uh, 2010 when with the with the co-op at Olympic Village It was the first co-op in the city in years. Um, so we definitely can. There's room to grow that sector. The nonprofit sector, they'll tell you right now. If you had Jill Hatkey from the from the BC Nonprofit Housing Association, she tell you they have projects ready to go. They just need support and funding. You're definitely going to hear us talking about nonprofit, cooperative, public housing. But yes, market market rental as well. I'm a, I rent market rental myself. Yeah. And we need housing for people across the continuum. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's really important it's it's not just any kind of rental either. I mean, we don't want to just build studios and and That's one right. one bedroom. We need rental for families. For families. Yeah. We want people to stay in Vancouver. There is an exodus of children in our city yeah. our, our schools right. are losing enrollment because not because people don't want to live in they Vancouver, can't afford to they live can't here. afford to and if they yeah. find something it's not the right size yes uh, do you want to live in an, in a neighborhood without children i not, don't I sure yeah. you know yeah you're absolutely right that, that yeah. they're they bring life I children I, I mean one of my best employees his wife and he moved to east vancouver because and they were in olympic village right but they have two children yeah. and they can't like they couldn't really, you know, the boys are getting older. Having Needed a more two space. bedroom doesn't really yeah. work for them. We yes, even them. That, and it. that is yeah. the missing middle. Yes. Right. Lately, lately, they've the missing middle has been used to describe mid rise buildings. But no, right. the missing middle is is housing for people in middle incomes, families. Mm. There's right. nothing between a studio and a and a two million dollar yeah. single family yeah. home. Yeah. You know, we need more options yeah. for yeah. those folks. OK, yeah. well said. Leslie, the idea of affordability in Vancouver is it just a concept that the public continues to be fed as a as an idea, or is there actually still real opportunities for affordability in Vancouver? Well, of course. I don't think I'd be running for city council if I didn't think there were opportunities to make the city more affordable. Mm -hmm. It's going to require bold action. I think it's something that politicians uh, struggle with, especially around election time. Well, they all say it. They, they all, all say they all it. Say, oh, I'm, like me, and I'll do I the know. affordable housing. I agree. But I don't think we have time to to dilly-dally anymore. And this is the thing, you know, that that's one of the reasons I'm running for city council. Um, so... <clears throat> What I mean, can we do to increase affordability in this city? Well, well obviously, uh, housing is a huge part of that, huge part of that equation. But there are other things, too. Um, Childcare, you know, and and the B.C. government going to give them props and the feds. They're they're in on the ten dollar day daycare initiative that hugely reduces the cost for families to and makes life more affordable. Uh, food security. You know, Stuart mm -hmm. mentioned that earlier. Food is going through the roof right now in terms of inflation. What can we do to mm -hmm. to source more of our food locally to support local farmers sure. invest in the future of food in the city i know it sounds a little corny yeah. but it's absolutely true i love true. the vancouver farmers market people uh, don't they, they under don't realize it or underestimate and it's so essential it's just, so essential yeah for for folks you know i live in a somewhat of a food desert in my neighborhood yeah. there used to be more green grocers yeah. on granville street near where i live uh, not anymore. It's upscale furniture stores right. now. Yeah. And so I have to walk to go, to go grocery shopping now. Yeah. So there's so many other things that we can do around affordability. I've just really, it's the tip of the tip of the iceberg in terms well, of what we could do. It's in that a area. long conversation. I mean, it's a longer a whole conversation. Podcast. So let sure. me finish this one question for you, because you're the one that chose housing uh, as your topic, Leslie. So let's say I'm ready. Uh, elections, I'm ready, Elections Andrew. tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> elections tomorrow. You get elected. Yeah. The next day you're at city council and you're being given the opportunity to present something to council for the first time on housing, something tangible, something real. Give give the listeners a, a so, flavor of what you would do. Victoria City Council did something very exciting a few okay. weeks ago. They basically took away the requirement uh, for a rezoning public hearing for public housing, cooperative housing, or nonprofit housing. Oh, interesting. That's going to accelerate the process by I think they estimated about about nine months um, so that's a really um, now it's it's a bit more going to be a bit more challenging in Vancouver because 
we're going to need some amendments to the Vancouver Charter in, in order to make that possible. Mm. But it's it's possible. And I think we have a provincial government right now under the leadership of, of Housing Minister David Eby that will be supportive of an, an initiative like that and yeah. others like that. But that's one thing we can do now. Other municipalities have done it. The precedent has been set yeah. uh, to accelerate that process and get some of this housing built faster. That is a huge issue in the city. Okay, great. It's really interesting in the city of Vancouver and many neighborhoods that if you have a single family dwelling and you want to rebuild it, there's no public process. You put right. in your permit. But if you want to change that to multiple, then you have to go through an entire process. Yes. This doesn't make any sense at all. We need housing. We need to change our neighborhoods. Um, the day uh, for me and um, the day of the 60 foot front single family dwelling, it has to be over. We need to be building. We need to be offering a variety of housing. And one of the things- But are you suggesting, to... Stuart, that you would, uh, this idea, you would extend it to all types of uh, rezonings? You would I just think let... that's oh. a, a topic that we need to have a discussion okay. about. To be devil's advocate, if you don't have any kind of public hearing uh, or public discussion about a rezoning uh, or reapplication, where where is the checks and balances then? I, I actually am not saying that we shouldn't have a public process yeah. around these projects. Yeah. Um, it, and I'm talking about the requirement for a, a public hearing. So <laughs> so absolutely public engagement. I, I actually would, this is a much bigger topic actually, okay. but I'd like to look at a renewal or a reform of the public hearing system. Okay. Because in Vancouver, what happens is is public hearing is what we uh, I call a showcase showdown, where it becomes this, and you're seeing that with the Broadway plan right now, this dramatic us versus them, contentious, right. uh, uh, all point, you know, I'll drag it out battle yeah. uh, for supremacy. That's, That's not, it's not good. It's a, not a good way to make public policy. Yeah. So what I would like to see is more contact points between the public and city council earlier in the process. Some other right. municipalities do this as well. So that people- This is a really good point. Developers mm -hmm. we talk to, it's one of the biggest complaints Absolutely. about city, uh, city so of Vancouver. If you, they can't get any engagement. That's right. Time. That's right. So if you build that in ahead of time, by the time it gets to city council, whether you have a public hearing or not, I gave you an idea. But for those projects yeah. where public hearings continue, you know you have com community support and consensus before it ever gets f to council for final decision. Yeah. And, and and let's look at the way our, our process works now. You have to be available during the day. You have to be available for two, three, four, five days to come and speak to city council. Well, that's only a small subset of the city that's available to do that. That's not a fair It's not system. accessible to everybody. Right. Okay, we're gonna now jump to the third topic, financial accountability. Now in Gregor Robertson's first year as mayor, he spent $128,000 in discretionary expenses. When he left, as mayor in 2018, that amount had ballooned to $611,000. And that wasn't even a full year in his last year. What are your thoughts, and either you can answer this, what are your thoughts on the mayor's discretionary fund? Would you be in favor of keeping it, slashing it, or dividing it amongst city council? Um, I'm old enough to remember when the mayor had two staff, maybe you are too, I don't know. Um, when when uh, Larry Campbell was elected mayor of Vancouver, they had two, two political staff, two executive assistants and then administrative staff. So uh, I think a, a strong argument can be made regardless of who is elected uh, mayor in October that um, the mayor's office probably needs more than two people to support them and and the work of, of serving the public. So I would say to you, I support uh, an office budget for mm -hmm. the mayor's office. Um, and again, regardless of who is elected to office. So uh, Mayor Kennedy Stewart, as of December uh, 31st of last year, has one, two, three, four, five, six paid yep. political staff in addition to, as I think it was another four. Like administrative four, staff. Four, yeah, yeah, four staff that you're referring to, Leslie. Right, right. So I can see that, but there's there's six paid staff, which at their combined salaries last year were $600,000. Do you think that's appropriate use of public funds? Well, it depends on what they're using the money for. I mean, well, the political the, staff. Well, but political staff. Um, administrative staff. The administrative staff are the receptionists, the people who are doing the documentation and things like that. There is lots of things that happen in the mayor's office. So I would want to know a breakdown of 
what all of that is. There is oversight, okay? I, I'm not defending this because yeah, I don't yeah. know what, sure. what this one, but there is oversight with city council. There is oversight with the auditor on what they're spending. Um, just, just to tell you about city council, yeah, I'd like to see some of that budget go to city councillors. Um, they have very, very little um, staffing allotment. They have... I mean, um, that's a really good point. Staff. That's yeah. why I asked the question. I mean, um, I'm chair of the park board. I have no administrative support other than meeting support, so support when we have meetings. Um, I receive five, six, sometimes 700 emails in a week. Um, I'm responsible That's a lot for of doing emails. that. Um, I have to spend all of my time, you know, reading um, the, the, the staff reports, making my notes, making, you know, and, and most uh, commissioners have another job. Now, yeah. city council is, a, is is pretty much a full-time job, but they don't just do city council. Yeah. You know, they're, they're on other committees, um, metro, transit, whatnot. Um, they do need support. It, there's no question the mayor's office does need support. Yeah. My question is, how is it being spent and is it good value for dollar? Right. Roughly, about, I think it's about $30,000 a year is what is allocated to each city councilor mm -hmm. for discretionary expenses. Mm -hmm. By contrast, about eight hundred thousand a year. So all the city councillors combined, mm -hmm. they they have less than a hundred thousand dollars to share. For I mean, we know they 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 each get sort of two councillors for one assistant because that's how they got to really stretch those dollars. Mm -hmm. So would you be in favor of taking this discretionary amount that the, the mayor is currently getting and reducing it and then reallocating it to the city councillors? Again, I'd like to see what the mayor is spending it on. Okay. Um, you know, if, if there are things that I don't agree with, um, you know, I, does the mayor's office need to do individual polling? Is that something? And how much does right. that cost? Right. But, you know, but, but the city does need to do polling. I mean, we need to know what the people in Vancouver are thinking about, and there's various ways of doing that. Okay. So I need to know what that is being spent on. Um, you know, we talk about being a living wage employer. You know, $30,000 per um, counselor, you're not paying anyone a living wage. You certainly aren't. No. Um, you know, and so we need, we, we, we need to get our priorities right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, where would you like to see the city spend more of its money or investing its money? Um, I would definitely, echoing what Stuart said earlier, I think uh, climate preparedness. Um, uh, he talked about the waterfront, uh, absolutely, and, and re sea level rise, uh, but also things like um, electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Right. There's such an explosion in, in uh, electric vehicles and really just isn't the, the adequate uh, infrastructure. Yeah. You know, there's not a huge infrastructure that we need to build. We have uh, infrastructure on every single street that has electrical charges on them. And they're, yeah. they're called lamp stands. Right. And they could be rewired, you know, to, to, to bring more in so that we can have charging stations. Yeah. Um, certainly infrastructure, um, coastal infrastructure, um, our sewer infrastructure, we need to be doing that. Um, I believe, if I'm not incorrect, that we have a 1% extra tax on our taxes that go for infrastructure. I bet that you would ask, like dollars to donuts, as my old dad used to say, that you could uh, ask people if you would, be, would you be in favor of making that 2% in order to build better infrastructure? Right. We need to be investing in that. And, and just to build on that, one more thing, um, I think we could invest in arts and culture infrastructure oh, as absolutely. well. Um, okay. I think there's a real deficit, a real struggle for affordable art space in the city as well. So I just wanted to and put what, that plug in for arts yeah. and culture. Yeah, and, and what's the point of life without art? Yeah. Because so many of our listeners at Coastal Front, uh, like myself, want to continue to see uh, government be accountable with their finances. My last question is how will the Vision Party save municipal taxpayers tax dollars. Uh, if you look at the amount of increases we've seen in the last three years, it's been a 25% increase mm -hmm. yeah. in property taxes for people that own homes, condos, townhouses, single family homes. So how is your party going to be able to save taxpayers? Um, I'll just start off by saying it's been an expensive couple of years for pretty obvious reasons. We've been living through a global pandemic and um, we've had to 
roll with a lot of change, you know, so I'm not going to hold that against the city council. I'll hold other things against them, but not this. But uh, now we need to turn our attention towards the future. Uh, I'm sure you agree. I think it starts at the top with council and uh, with senior staff leadership as well. In my view, there's a lot of city practices and processes that increase costs, and not just for developers, you know, but for government, for businesses, for individuals. Um, And uh, so, again, not just talking about development permitting processes, but that is a big one. Um, I think there is a a lot of projects get gummed up for years in some cases. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also talking about the public engagement process, which we've also already talked about. It's long, drawn-out processes. They're expensive. Mm -hmm. I think some people don't even know where they start and where they finish. and the, the lack of speed with which this council makes decisions. We've got this situation now where they're making massive decisions, like this month, you know, because it takes them so long to get through their agenda. Right. So there's a lot, you're hearing a lot about uh, efficiency um, and and also these spontaneous new ideas that, that councillors have to, you know, amendment or, or uh, a new motion to add this or that. They've got the staff madly running in all directions. So for me, I think a lot can be achieved in terms of city expenditures uh, with efficiency and also with strong leadership. Okay, good answer. Um, uh, I just want to put a caveat on that. Um, Everything costs more. Um, And so much of our infrastructure was built 40, 50, 60 years ago. It has reached the end of its life. It's not cheap to replace. And uh, so, and we have to do it. And we have, we don't yeah. have a choice. No, we don't have a choice. No, we, we, we have to do it. Right. So if we want to live in Vancouver and if we want to keep the quality of life that we've come to yeah. expect, then we're gonna have to pay for it. And, um, you know, this is the generation that is going to have to pay for renewal. It's just the luck of the draw on that one. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Vision Vancouver. People listen to this podcast. Let's say they really like what they're hearing. Uh, how do they get involved and what are you looking for people to do to, to help you you two and the rest of your colleagues get elected in October? We've already mentioned a couple of times today that we have a policy a process coming up. If you want to be part of the future, crafting the future of the city, join Vision Vancouver, votevision.ca, um, become a member. That's the website, vote votevision.ca. Uh, sign up, become a member. It's just $10, so it's easy to get involved. Come to our policy conferences. Come to our community meetings. Be part of this policy development process for the, the city that you want to help create. There's going to be lots to do over the summertime. We're going to ha- uh, have lots of uh, get-togethers. We're going to have pub nights. We're going we're gonna to talk to folks and listen to what they have to say. And, of course, there'll be lots of volunteer opportunities in uh, September and October as we... Uh, compete for your votes. Okay. Leslie Bolt, Stuart McKinnon, two of our star candidates for Vision Vancouver. Thank you for being on Coastal Front today. Thank you, Andrew. Best of luck Thanks in for October. inviting us. Thank yeah. you. Thank you.